Welcome into TYT's Indisputable. It is your host, Adrian Lawrence. I am filling in for the great Dr. Richie, who will or should be back tomorrow. And I am very excited to be joined by Ben Carollo, host of Galaxy Brain. And she happens to also stream on Twitch, Bleep Blomp Ben. And I know you've seen her on TYT's contributor channel, Rebel HQ, where I'm sure you have seen me and my segment overruled. And let's go ahead and kick this off with something I'm sure a number of you have seen because it's been all over the news. We are talking about the Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearing for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. Well, it turned into rather an emotional event yesterday when Senator Cory Booker delivered a very heartfelt remark when it came to things that justice or soon to be Justice Jackson has been experiencing there and making her way to those confirmation hearings. Go ahead and watch this. You got here how every black woman in America who's gotten anywhere has done by being <laughs> like Ginger Rogers said, I did everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards in heels. <laughs> And, and so I, I'm just sitting here saying nobody's stealing my joy. Nobody's going to make me angry, especially not people that are called in a conservative magazine demagogic for what they're bringing up that just doesn't hold water. I'm not going to let my joy be stolen because I know you and I, we appreciate something that we get that a lot of my colleagues don't. I know Tim Scott does. When I first came to this place, I was the fourth black person ever popularly elected to the United States Senate. And I still remember a lot of mixed people, white folks, black folks work here. But at night when people are in line to come in to clean this place, the, the, the percentage of minorities shift a lot. And so I'm walking here, first week I'm here, and somebody who's been here for decades doing the urgent work of the Senate, but it's the unglamorous work that goes on no matter who's in offices. The guy comes up to me, all he wants to say I can tell is, I'm so happy you're here, but he comes up and he can't get the words out. And this man, my elder, starts crying. And I, I just hugged him and he just kept telling me, it is so good to see you here. It's so good to see you here. Those are very powerful things, especially for many of us who are the first or one of the first in these predominantly white dominated spaces. And I know that um, soon to be Justice Jackson really felt that and that resonated with her, um, You know, having gone to Harvard Law School, having grown up or been in a lot of spaces where there have been so few of us. Uh, here are some more of the remarks from that day. And you're here. I was in the White House with my Democratic colleagues and I'm, again, I'm in my joy, I can't help it. <laughs> and, and, and the president's asking our advice, who should we nominate and whatever. And I look at Kamala and we have a knowing glance, which we've had for years when she and I used to sit on this end of this committee at times. And then I try to get out to the president what it means, what it means. And I want to tell you when I look at you, this is why I get emotional. I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're a person that is so much more than your race and gender. You're a Christian, you're a mom, you're, you're, you're an intellect, you love books. But for me, I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me not to look at you and not see my mom, not to see my, my cousins, one of them who had to come here and sit behind you. She had to be, she had to have your back. I see my ancestors and yours. 
Nobody's going to steal the joy of that woman in the street or the calls that I'm getting or the texts. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. A great American indeed. And Cory Booker spoke for some 20 minutes, uh, rightfully praising KBJ on her accomplishments, highlighting the significance of her nomination uh, because she's an incredibly talented woman and she deserved to be there. Unfortunately, not everybody felt that way and they thought that they would try to uh, knock her off her throne or at least uh, maybe tilt her crown some. You know, because Booker came to this uh, remark. In essentially its spirited defense of her, it really followed that constant barrage of attacks by the GOP. And here's a recap according to the Associated Press. So in a marathon hearing stretching into the night, Republicans aggressively questioned Jackson on the sentences she had handed down to sex offenders in the nine years as a federal judge. Her advocacy on behalf of terror suspects at Guantanamo Bay, her thoughts on critical race theory and even her religious views. At one point, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas read from children's books that he said are taught at her teenage daughter's school. Several GOP senators grilled her on her child pornography sentences, arguing that they were lighter than federal guidelines recommend. She said she based the sentences on many factors, not just the guidelines, and said some of the cases had given her nightmares. Indeed, and there is plenty of support for the fact that she her record in terms of sentencing when it comes to child pornography or child abuse, that those things were consistent with others records, that there was nothing that was any lighter. Also, it really was something that was speaking to this QAnon Reddit theory, smearing her. They actually subjected her during the hearing to this line of questioning that was absolutely appalling. And this is to create this narrative that is going on, really kind of undermining KBJ and suggesting that she is part of this almost Pizzagate style child abuser network and it's an absolute joke. But also too, when it comes to her qualifications and experience, they are amazing. She has far more experience than those currently on the bench. Check this out, this graphic here will show you. She hits all the boxes here when it comes to, she went to an Ivy League school, which honestly shouldn't be in any way a qualification, but let's talk education. And it's at the highest top tier, Supreme Court clerk, also public defender, which is the only one on the court that has ever had that experience, being able to represent people on behalf of we the people, so to speak. And then sentencing commission on their district judge and being a court of appeals judge, so she really, dominates when it comes to experience that she brings to the bench far more than her current or I should say future colleagues. Now also NPR had this to say. So as the panel wrapped up the third day of the hearings on Wednesday, Majority Leader Dick Durbin announced that the committee planned to meet an executive session on Jackson's nomination March 28th, that'd be Monday. The panel's rules allow for any committee business to be held over the over for one week, which could push the vote until April 4th. The committee is set to resume the hearing today, but this won't be questioning. It'll largely be hearing commentary from witnesses. Now, Ben, this was something that I couldn't watch when it came to the hearing, being a black woman as well as being an attorney. And you know, I really love the fact that we have this historic moment of the first black woman being nominated to the Supreme Court, but knowing the white supremacy that would be unleashed on her from the bench when it comes to Congress as a GOP and the Senate Judiciary Committee. But I'm sure you watched some of it and I'm wondering how did this resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, like, so from my perspective as, as a trans woman, like, I'm super 
I'm super hopeful. I'm super hopeful because not only are we talking about representation for black women on the Supreme Court, but we're also talking about, in my opinion, what will be meaningful representation where Kentaji Brown Jackson, she literally has experience as a public defender. And to me, that speaks immensely to both her character and I think her potential as a Supreme Court justice because public defenders have to be defenders of the public. That means like they have to be willing to put themselves in the shoes of marginalized people from any community and defend them against claims of criminal and so like that reality and basically everything in her record, I was honestly shocked. I was honestly shocked that Joe Biden picked somebody who is in no way, shape or form a compromise candidate. And I think that's exactly why we're seeing all of this white supremacist rhetoric from these Republicans attacking her is because they are afraid of what she represents. And what she represents is the real potential for progress from the Supreme Court because she does have a record as a public defender and every indication suggests that not only is she incredibly qualified, but she will be more than capable of actually representing the voices of marginalized people from a litany of different communities across this country that have not had any representation, not had any voice on Supreme Court. And I mean, like just to look at the history of the Supreme Court, if you look at after the Civil War, like think about this, after the Civil War, the Supreme Court actively tore apart attempts at reconstruction. That is the Supreme Court that she is now as a black woman sitting on. And I think that makes a huge difference. And I think that I'm honestly like as somebody that often criticizes Joe Biden, shocked and amazed that he would pick somebody as qualified and really as, as fantastic as, as Kentaji Brown Jackson. Yeah, I definitely think it was an incredible pick and a great choice and that she will be an ideal justice. And you're absolutely right, we do need that representation there. Someone who has represented the people when they are facing a system against them. We need that because we can't just have a bunch of Ivy Leaguers up in towers out there rendering their idea of how the world should be. We need people who've been in the world and who have been on both sides. And so I think Justice Jackson will be incredible in her position. And it's just, it's extremely upsetting knowing what went down this past week in terms of the hearings, but you know, white supremacy is alive and well. When it comes down to the Caribbean, I think that ideas of white supremacy seem to be becoming less dominant as the force. Because while they were on their week long tour of the Caribbean for the Queen's Jubilee, that's essentially marking the Queen's 70th year on the throne. Well, the royals, they got into issues that I think maybe have ruffled their feathers. They talked a little bit about slavery and they got a little rude awakening. So let's go ahead and listen first to the remarks from Prince William. I strongly agree with my father, the Prince of Wales, who said in Barbados last year that the appalling atrocity of slavery forever stains our history. I want to express my profound sorrow. Slavery was abhorrent and it should never have happened. Oh, you know, it's interesting since I know what that whole British Empire was a huge participant when it came to slavery. So it's too bad we couldn't get an apology out of it. But let's go ahead and see what CNN had to say. They said that the Duke's remarks came a day after a small group of anti monarchy protesters gathered in the Jamaican capital of Kingston to demand an apology from Britain. Some chanted apology now, reparations now, while others carried posters and placards reading apologize and let's get current, let's get rid of the rule of the queen. Here is a clip of some of those protesters. Apologies now, reparations now. 
Protesters demanding the British government pay reparations for slavery and apologize. Despite the protests, William and Kate were welcomed by many across Jamaica. The couple playing soccer and joining in as locals played the drums. Yeah, but definitely don't let you know that cute little oh, they were welcomed and they were embraced to fool you because well, Jamaica let them know that it's not here for the Queen's rule anymore. When the Prince and Kate had met with the Prime Minister of Jamaica, Andrew Holness, he had this to say. Jamaica is a very free and liberal country, but Jamaica is, as you would see, a country that is very proud of our history, very proud of what we have achieved, and we are moving on, and we intend to attain in short order our development goals and fulfill our true ambitions and destiny as an independent prosperous Yeah, that's right. The Prime Minister just let Prince William know that they are going to be replacing Queen Elizabeth II as the head of state. Now, this would become the second country to cut ties with the Brits as last November, Barbados became a republic and gave the Queen the boot. But let's talk a little bit about what the British Empire did to Jamaica to get us here. This is per an academic, an academic Michelle Limonis, who authored the research paper, Devious Ingenuous British Colonialism in Jamaica. She said Jamaica was conquered by the British Empire basically 1965 and driven by an appetite for the accumulation of wealth. British colonialism was described as pure evil. It is evident that Jamaica's colonial model was a strategic art form that guaranteed domination controls and subjugation of the labor force using all forms of violence. In Jamaica, British colonialism created cultural identities of whiteness as superior and blackness as inferior. It legitimized and reinforce this biased reality through nationalism and privilege of whiteness and alienating, repressing and marginalizing blackness. Now the British Empire would engage in a process of whitening the black Jamaican populace and they do this through rape. And they essentially would produce mixed race children that they would enslave. So not only would they increase their slave population, but then they would use these children to reinforce the hierarchy where whiteness was desired. So here's what Leomonas had to say about that. She said sexuality for the female slave was a rite of passage and involved physical and mental humiliation, ensuring that the slave was aware of her role as a worker and vessel to bear more slaves. Third generation mulatto children and descendants of foreigners born in the Jamaican colony were used to increase the white populace and to control other castes. And also changing the way that gender was perceived in Jamaica was key to Britain's colonization of the island and breaking down and dividing the people there. This is what Leomona said, she said the gendering of relationships was intrinsic to colonialism in Jamaica, it included a perverse system of colonial heteropatriarchy that imposed and created cultures and structures of inequity and inequality on indigenous black people. Gendering and heterosexuality, the dominant male and submissive female are imposed at all levels within a society continually intersecting and reinforced until it becomes the cultural norm. And so by way of using these constructs of race and gender, Britain was able to divide, conquer and kill a nation. In closing, this is what she says, British colonialism imposed patriarchal 
ideologies through the construction of unequal gender norms, sex, race and class and policies to control its colony. Strategically and simultaneously, British colonialism in Jamaica created systems of violence against the oppressed to maintain authority and control over its colonies. The slaves and their generations in Jamaica have known nothing but violence. For the slave, violence was a rite of passage and a way of life. Today, black Jamaicans continue to experience poverty, sexism, racism and gendering, sometimes hidden in the ordinariness of everyday life and creating a sense of powerlessness and self-destruction. In summary, British colonialism in Jamaica created a society of extreme wealth and poverty using a model that can only be described as deviously ingenious to divide and conquer the local indigenous community. British colonialism imposed visible and invisible strands of violence at every level. Over 300 years later, Jamaica once noted for its notorious social disorder during British colonialism and slavery is considered today as one of the most violent countries in the world. That is what Britain did to Jamaica. But despite that history, some British media pundits are still Finding a way to put the blame on Jamaica wanting to leave the queen behind, of course, by putting it on Meghan Markle, believe it or not. Yeah, claiming she's trying to destroy the Commonwealth. This is insane, absolutely ludicrous, especially given the disgusting history and capitalization and exploitation that the British Empire has done to Jamaica. How does this sit with you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, like there's so many layers to this. Like if you look at if you look at anti-gay and anti-trans laws around the world, you'll see this trend of a lot of like white Americans looking at the rest of the world and saying, "Oh, look at those people over there. They're so homophobic or transphobic or whatever." And odds are you can go back to their history and find, "Oh, they were colonized and these rules were enforced in their populations and there was extreme colonial efforts, right? Extreme genocidal efforts to embed these cultures and norms into these societies. And like that, that's just one layer of it. Another layer of it is all of this rests on top of an incredibly long history. Like we have to remember all of this goes back to even just take a look at Haiti. When the Haitian slaves freed themselves from slavery and literally fought a revolutionary war against the French to maintain their independence, they were forced to pay reparations to France up until just a few decades ago. And this is the reality that has continued for literally hundreds of years with attempts of decolonization and if multiple waves of decolonization. There was another wave after Fidel Castro kicked out American businesses from Cuba and that kicked up like a bunch of countries in the global south looking to them for hope for decolonization. But that decolonization has never really happened. And the call for reparations is I think a very, very important and very critical one that should never be ignored and I think should be at the forefront of this because it is hundreds of years of not only the extraction of wealth, but the dehumanization of entire populations that both the both the British colonialism and French colonialism, Belgian colonialism, all of those colonial powers um, put in place these extreme cultural controls, put in place like extreme apartheid regimes, uh, genocide regimes and Ultimately, now it's coming to a moment where some of these countries are starting to try and free themselves peacefully from this colonial influence. But ultimately, there needs to be a follow up with reparations because the impact, the poverty that these countries are experiencing is because of that history of colonialism.
Absolutely, yep. They came to those countries, infiltrated them, broke them down, and broke those people's spirits, took everything from them, and continued to benefit from it to this very day. So if Prince William can't apologize, he at least needs to cut a check. But it definitely is something that needs to end, and it needs to, in some way, be ameliorated through. A payback, reparations are necessary. And we will be back very shortly, as they say, stick and stay. Welcome back to the watch list. It is Adrian Lawrence. Wait, it's not the watch list. This is indisputable, but the watch list is available all week long. You need to subscribe. That's right, because JR is bringing you the latest. Go to youtube.com slash watchlisttyt. Follow and like it on Facebook at facebook.com slash watchlisttyt. That's weekdays, 12 Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And also podcasting. Have you checked out the indisputable podcast? That's right. Go ahead and do so on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, you better get it as there is much to be had for Dr. Richie and you definitely need to click follow, hit that rate with five stars. And then head over to Twitch and it's Ray Actions with Ravana after Indisputable. Definitely today go on over there to twitch.tv slash tyt.com to catch all the new news that Ravana has to offer. And let's check out what y'all got to say out there in the virtual world. Wow, gosh, Moondragon with the $5. Thank you so much. Always here for Adrian and Ben. I am a fan. Lil Krabby Dragon says, indisputable with two lovely, intelligent, beautiful human beings. Thank you, oodles. As far as Cory Booker's remarks on KBJ go, Dark Fire Ring says, Booker rocked it out. I got emotional listening to him talk. What a powerful statement, absolutely. Seth. A nice T says the United States is overdue for proper black representation in most forms of government. Yup. And also Cindy Lou 87 says that was the first nice thing I think I ever heard anyone say to her. Yeah, definitely during those hearings for sure. It was ugh. science train. I'm actually surprised the GOP senators didn't try to spread more lies about KBG. Oh, I know that they did. Mickey C the Silverhead Dragon says when JFK was running the hysteria was that he was a Catholic and that meant the Pope would be running the country. In the naive idealistic 1960s, I thought that the day would come soon where we could no longer say the first whether gender, race, religion, etc. I repeated that wish over the decades, over a half century later, we still have to say it. That is why Booker brought tears to my eyes, yeah, for sure. As far as the British Royals having that unwelcome visit to Jamaica, Green New Deal Dragon says monarchists are relics of the past. Yep, and I know that they are getting that feel. Alchemy says no one cares about an apology, start giving out some checks. That's right, yep, apologizing cash. E Pluribus Brian, Duck Duck Dragon, if I were from the UK, I would be pretty steamed about my tax dollars going to one family to make them rich while everyone else struggles. Hey now. And then RS Nick 0721 says, I am so sorry, increase the white population. Mixed folks aren't wanted anywhere. Yeah, it's a bummer what they did. And definitely oh, their oppression is still felt. And unfortunately, in what across the pond over here in the United States, our oppression is definitely felt with these Karens. So I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're I feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Why is it? Don't push me. Hey, you can't touch. You can't push her. I'll give 
running Where's your whore mouth when I was on my goddamn phone. I did not talk to you, did I? Did I? We have did I? Right I don't give a fuck about your goddamn baby ass bitch ass kids. What in the world? Where's my phone? Well, we're going to find it because I'm going to goddamn I know he thought he had something to say to her, but I'm sure he piped down real quick when those two brothers stuck to him. Oh my goodness, this man on a plane, I would lose it being in that confined space with all that shenanigans. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, okay, first and foremost, if you're on the plane, if you're on the plane and you're taking a phone call, like you need to acknowledge that you're the one that's being rude. I get it, we all have business or whatever. Like sometimes you maybe have to take a phone call, but like generally, you're already like on the edge of being rude by just taking that phone call. And then like he's complaining about, oh, why are you talking to me while I'm on the phone? Probably because you're on a plane. I mean, and if they're on a plane and they're on boarding and they're like about to like start going off, once again, like according to the rules of the airline you're also just not supposed to be on your phone as like the planes like getting ready to like take off and stuff so like he's in the wrong in like a million different layers but instead of being apologetic like oh gosh I'm so sorry cuz I'm on the phone yeah I have no choice it's business he's getting like in everyone else's business about this and it's just it's just the audacity this sheer audacity is is honestly astounding oh my gosh the misogyny you know calling her what a whore and all sorts of things like this individual should not be able to be in public exposed to anyone else. And I really hope that he got arrested at the end of the day. I do feel bad in that, you know, these um, two black gentlemen should not have to be the bouncers. Like we already face enough discrimination from flight attendants and have all these negative experience in places. So now that we have to protect people on top of it, it's just, you know, I just feel like I want reparations. Just this thought that we have to actually do this. And, you know, I just hope that those men were saved, that they were rewarded in some way for being there to protect others and to shut down this individual. But it's just too often is the case and not enough is done to keep these people from engaging in this behavior that puts us all in danger. When we're speaking about not enough being done, let's go ahead and head up to New York where two senior prosecutors have resigned after the new Manhattan district attorney basically is pushing away from charging Donald Trump. That's right, there was so much moving forward before with Cy Vance when he was a district attorney. But now that this new guy is in office, he's walking away a bit. The prosecutors who decided to resign, that's Mark F. Pomerantz. Well, he is pictured here. And then there's also a Mr. Dune who we will talk about later. But he wrote a resignation letter that essentially told it all. And here's what the New York Times had to say in terms of that letter. One of the senior Manhattan prosecutors who investigated Donald J. Trump believed that the former president was guilty of numerous felony violations and that it was a grave failure of justice not to hold him accountable according to a copy of his resignation letter. That prosecutor, Mr. Pomerantz, submitted his resignation last month after the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg abruptly stopped pursuing an indictment 
of Mr. Trump. Now let's go ahead and I'm gonna put up this picture here of Mr. Bragg who just came into office replacing Cy Vance. Yep, that's Alvin Bragg, he is the new DA in Manhattan. And despite all of the advancement that had been moving toward prosecuting Trump, all of a sudden he gets in office and he decides to pull back. Yeah, okay, let's turn back to New York Times. So this prosecutor who left, Mr. Pomerantz, 70 years old, he's a prominent former federal prosecutor and white collar defense lawyer who came out of retirement to work on the Trump investigation. He resigned the same day as Carrie R. Dune, another senior prosecutor leading the inquiry. Mr. Pomerantz's February 23rd letter, which was attained by the New York Times, offers a personal account of his decision to resign and for the first time states explicitly his belief that the office could have convicted the former president. Mr. Bragg's decision was contrary to the public interest, he wrote. The team that had been investigating Mr. Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes. He did. Now, so if you've been following the story, there's been escalating disagreement, essentially, I guess, between these special prosecutors and this now new prosecutor about whether or not they could prove that Donald Trump knowingly falsified the value of his assets in his annual financial statements. Now, Pomerantz clearly thinks that, yes, they could go ahead and convict him. There was enough there. While Mr. Dune and while Mr. Pomerantz were confident that the office could demonstrate that the former president had intended to inflate the value of his golf clubs, hotels, and office buildings, Mr. Bragg was not. That's essentially what's being said now in the media that Mr. Bragg had no idea, that he balked at the idea of prosecuting Trump and that there was sufficient information and knowledge there and evidence. And again, he balked at pursuing an indictment against Mr. Trump, a decision that shut down Mr. Pomerantz's and Mr. Dune's presentation of evidence to a grand jury and prompted their resignations. Mr. Bragg has said that his office continues to conduct the investigation. For that reason, Mr. Bragg, a former federal prosecutor and deputy New York State Attorney General who became DA in January is barred from commenting on the specifics. Now, Mr. Bragg's predecessor, Cy Vance Jr. had decided in his final days in office to move forward with getting an indictment or move toward it, leaving Mr. Trump just weeks away from likely criminal charges. Mr. Bragg's decision seems for now at least to have removed one of the greatest legal threats Mr. Trump has ever faced. Yeah, that's right. So mm, to me, this smells like hmm, maybe some of Trump's friends were able to buy themselves a new DA who would back off of Donald Trump. That's what I'm sensing, Ben. Yeah, I mean, like that is really what it seems like. Because I mean, let's think about it for like a second, right? Like, is he gonna drop random charges against like minor drug charges or like sex workers? Like, who is he targeting this towards? It's, you know, it's really magical. It's really mysterious how, you know, somehow people in power, they will get like indictments dropped and they won't even get anything sent to a grand jury. But if you're talking about regular working class people, especially if they're people of color or from a marginalized community, then all of a sudden the entire book is thrown at them. And you have nonviolent drug offenders in the United States that are in jail for like 20, 30 years, you know, sometimes even life. And yet somehow Donald Trump, 
manages to just escape legal scrutiny in this way. And that is what's just so shocking is just not even bringing it to trial. I mean, not even, are you kidding me? Not bringing it to trial, at least bring it to trial, right? Like, well, no, at least bring it to the grand jury. Cuz the thing is, they were in the middle of presenting it to the grand jury. And this new DA comes in and says, whoa, 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 let's go ahead and stop this investigation. Remember that the Manhattan DA had run this all the way up to the US Supreme Court at one point. So this fight has been going on for years and this was just one of the avenues to actually holding Trump accountable. That has now been removed just by virtue of the fact that Bragg is now in office and he's claiming, "Oh, it's not good enough. We're going to stop here now. Get out of here. This is disgusting. This reeks of corruption and a lack of justice." And the thing is, now all we can hope is that New York State that the Attorney General there, Leticia James, that she will continue with her work. And I think that's why Trump really hates her so much is because she's not gonna be able to be bought. And she's not gonna back down or let this go. And she's not going to be replaced unlike Cy Vance. And thus, there's a good chance that Trump will continue to have to face charges at that level. But by virtue of the fact that now he's definitely it seems not going to be facing them from the Manhattan DA. I'm just, this is disgusting. But hey, it reflects the corruption that is embedded in our system. We'll be back in a minute, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable, it is Adrian Lawrence. And let's just go ahead and jump to what y'all gotta say out there. Well, as far as the male Karen on the airplane, Granny Dragon One says, I'm never getting on a plane ever again, if I could avoid it, absolutely. Fiddlin' Nero, I wish the world was flat so cats would knock all the Karens over the edge. That would be very entertaining, I'm sure Maverick would be down. Uh, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon, duct tape, break glass in case of Karen, absolutely. Raja Harris, the whole plane should have been on his ass, yeah. Uh, Kevin Bard, Larry the Cable Guy sure has gone downhill, Oh my gosh. I feel like that's an aspiration for that dude. Former Lawyer from the Manhattan DA. Well, Cassandra Kapranica says, not charging Trump is gross dereliction of duty. Absolutely. And I really want to know who's paying for this, who's bankrolling this, because it's gross. Seth Anisit says, I can believe in a lot of fantastical and amazing things, but I don't have any hope Trump will ever go to jail for what he's done. The justice system is just too broken. Yeah, I agree. I fear that as well. Trudy Lawrence says, I believe something is a mist here. Yeah, there's something definitely going on. And Green New Deal Dragon says, can the DA be recalled or pressure put on him somehow? We need the law to apply to everyone, not just those without wealth or power. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And you know what, I really just hope that the feds are making some phone calls, listening in. Because yeah, you can definitely get busted for all sorts of bribery and corruption. And it would be good to figure out hmm, what happened here. But let's go ahead and turn to a story that we know is going on when it comes to Congress. So there's a Democrat who was previously accused of rape more than once, maybe planning a launch a primary campaign against progressive incumbent Congresswoman Cori Bush. That's right, Bush has been outspoken on her own sexual assault experience and now she may have to go up against this Democrat, it's this guy here. He is a Democrat in the state Senate right now, Stephen Roberts. 
And you know, Roberts has until March 29th to file papers and to make his candidacy official. And so we're all kind of waiting with bated breath of whether this gentleman here is actually going to get out there and try to campaign against Bush. So according to News One, Roberts, who identifies as black, was first accused of rape in 2015 after a law school student reported his alleged actions to the police, resulting in the then assistant prosecutor at the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office being arrested for suspicion of second degree sodomy. The following year, Cora Faith Walker, then a candidate for Missouri State Rep, also accused of Roberts of rape following an apparent celebration of both winning their respective primary elections. Walker wrote a letter to the state legislature making the claims, but Roberts was never charged after a local prosecutor said, there simply wasn't enough credible evidence that sexual relations between these two people were anything but consensual. That's interesting how that works. Well, Roberts reportedly shamed Walker in a statement released by his lawyers at the time suggesting that she as a married woman had a consensual affair with Roberts. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Unfortunately, Walker was found dead on March 11th in a hotel in St. Louis of a suspected heart attack at the age of 37. And a preliminary investigation determined that there was no foul play involved. So we're not necessarily gonna get more of the story there. But Roberts, we do know, is trying to erase his past transgressions. This is also what we know, that the suspicion that Roberts could be inching closer to challenging Democratic US Representative Cory Bush was only bolstered after the former Wikipedia page. The former's Wikipedia page was recently scrubbed of all references to past rape accusations against him, including one by his former fellow lawmaker, Walker. Roberts, for his past, has not given any direct indications that he's planning to seek Bush's seat in the US House. But the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported earlier this month that Roberts was looking to redraw congressional district lines in a move that political insiders said suggested he was positioning himself to take on Bush. You know, and there are no mentions of that past rape accusation in that post dispatch article, which is something to bear in mind. But what we do know is that on Monday, The Intercept reported the changes to Robert's Wikipedia page, lending more credence to Schatz's belief that the state senator will be running for Congress. A spokesman for Roberts denied any knowledge of the changes to the page on the website that is notorious for allowing users to make carte blanche edits. The St. Louis Business Journal also fueled more speculation when it published an article making a case for a free pass that Roberts has to challenge Bush. It's a race that could see the establishment strike back. The local news outlet tweeted on Monday. Well, this is very interesting. With all these moving parts and pieces, I wouldn't be surprised if this gentleman thinks that it's a perfect time for him to maybe come back into politics. What do you think, Ben? I mean, this is like, there's so many layers to this. First and foremost, look, if somebody has credible accusations of rape against them, just think about it for a second, right? There's plenty of qualified people in the world, right? So maybe we don't put those people in positions of power. I feel like that's a very low bar. But speaking of putting qualified people in positions of power, when millions of Americans were facing eviction, when millions of Americans were facing eviction, and Joe Biden was talking about getting rid of the eviction moratorium, it was Cori Bush who was sleeping on the Capitol steps to make sure that people kept their homes. And so it is absolutely infuriating that there is anybody talking about challenging, I would say, 
the best representative in the United States House today. It is absolutely shameless for anybody to push for this. And especially, I mean, but this is really where it is. My guess is that as a candidate, he probably represents landlord groups. Because my guess is there's no landlord across the country that is ever gonna forgive Cori Bush for keeping millions of people in their apartments. That is, I think, probably one of the major factors that's going on here. Because I know that when it comes to politics, there's always landlords playing a significant role in making sure their favorite candidates get into office. But like every single part about this is just absolutely infuriating. And the idea that somebody might try to be involved in redistricting to get Cory Bush out of office, or might try to even just primary Cory Bush. I mean, there are a million other people that deserve, I, everybody else in Congress deserves to be primaried before Cory Bush deserves to be primaried, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and seeing this individual purport to be a Democrat. And um, you know, it just, it really tells you that just because somebody has a label affixed to them about what political party they're affiliated with, does not mean that they're out here doing the work or doing good at all. And I agree with you, Ben, in terms of uh, that there's a good chance that a lot of landlords would like to see Cory Bush be out of office and out of a position just by virtue of the fact that she does her job. She uplifts the people and supports them and that she is there for individuals in Missouri, unlike this individual. You know, I just think it'd be very tasteless to have him in office and to also see him running against Cori Bush. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face, it's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. This Hillary Clinton thing really creeped me out because, I mean, I have a a very strong dislike for Hillary Clinton, anyways. Um, if if you guys you know, know, yeah, she's yeah she has been involved with Pizzagate. Yeah, absolutely, one of the most evil people in in the world right now. Um, this picture, um, physically, just this post stands out to me for a few reasons. Number one, you're seeing, of course, the yellow and blue, and you're seeing two children, and you're seeing a, a adult pressing his hand against the glass in a certain way. Mm. Um, one of the biggest things that Hillary and Pizzagate, they were all connecting to was Disney. This little girl is wearing pink in the window and she's also Let's happening to wear a Disney outfit. She's wearing Mickey Mouse. And the boy is wearing blue. Um, and so that in itself is a pedophile symbolism. The girls have a heart-shaped um, pink like symbol that is um, that is a pedophile sign for um, like liking little girls. And then the boys have a blue symbol that is more shaped like a triangle and it's it's blue and it symbolizes little boy love. And what was especially creepy is the the formation of the hand against the glass. It forms kind of a W, which is a Masonic symbol. Are you front of your gang signs here? <laughs> <laughs> it is a Masonic symbol and they just happen to be connecting wow. hands. And so it, it kind of has a dark symbolism in itself. And once you start looking for these things, you'll find them everywhere. 
It's not the analysis for me, it's the asinineness for me here. Are you out of your mind? This individual um, who is just like a Trump thumper right winger, it's like Gillian Christensen. You know, she has been super homophobic, a lot of anti-gay rhetoric, and a big part of this conservative movement, and using all sorts of religious rhetoric to bash people. And just to see her go after Hillary Clinton by trying to play this whole Pizzagate phenomena, you know, conspiracy theory. It's just it shows you how ignorant it is. It's not that what a little girl in pink. With hearts, definitely a sign. Get out of here, little boy in blue. Oh yeah, that's it. Oh, oh the fact that hands making a, a W, my finger is kind of naturally. Come on, Ben. <laughs> I mean, like with the pink and blue thing. I mean, are they saying this when people are doing gender reveal parties? Like, do they need to get the message on this? Do they not know the symbology? They're like, what is happening? Literally, what is happening? It's so wild. And like, right wingers, they'll immediately jump into this. They'll go into this. I mean, but it's one of those typical like white supremacist narratives, right? The think of the children always turns into just an excuse to try and justify violence against marginalized communities. Like, let's be real. That's what it's always been. And then, like, I like. It, the frustrating part about this is, is there legitimate reasons to criticize Hillary Clinton? Like Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, right? The involvement in the intervention in Libya, right? That was, it was bad that we were like bombing Libya. Yeah, okay. Like, but they're not talking about criticisms like that. They're not talking about military interventionism. Instead of that, they're talking about just making up ridiculous, absurd conspiracy theories. And like on its face is just absolutely absurd. And then obviously there's the elephant in the room, which is you know Donald Trump hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. But somehow we just ignore that. My God, I just really want to ignore that person. I hope she goes away. And there are other people that Joe Biden hopes go away. He's formally asked two of Trump appointed members of the President's Council on Sports, Fitness and Nutrition to go ahead and you know step down to beat it. That's right, that's Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker. They received a notification from President Biden's administration saying, mm, President really doesn't want you anymore. And Herschel Walker, who is now a Senate Republican candidate, and I think he's Pennsylvania, and then Dr. Oz is Georgia, respectively. Well, they were appointed back in 2018 when the president, Donald Trump at that time, asked them to serve on the council for a two year appointment. And then that was renewed in December 2020. But now, yeah, it seems that Joe Biden wants them out. So this is what CNN had to say about the reasoning. It's against the Biden administration's policy for federal candidates to serve on presidential boards, according to a White House official. Members of the President's Council on Sports, Fitness and Nutrition are considered special government employees who, per the Hatch Act, may not be candidates in partisan elections while conducting official government business. The official said letters to Oz and Walker were sent Wednesday requesting their resignations at 6 p.m. But of course, both of them refused to resign. And CNN had reported this, I'm not a quitter, so you are going to have to fire me, Walker said in a statement. Oz also put out a statement saying, clearly Joe Biden can't be around anyone who doesn't completely fall in line with his fear mongering authoritarian one size fits all COVID handling. I am proud of my service and will not resign. So while, while Walker is out here acting up a fool, he's also advising about nutrition and why it's problematic in terms of his advisement. So per the Daily Beast, they wrote that that's because months before the vaccine was available, Walker was swearing by and encouraging others to use unproven mystery treatments, including an allegedly FDA approved dry mist that will kill any COVID on your body. Yeah. 
And also despite his medical training and calling himself doctor, Dr. Oz is just as bad. Per the New York Times on COVID-19, Dr. Oz has been particularly contradictory. He's promoted the safety and efficacy of vaccines and masks, but also initially recommended the use of malaria drug hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID based on small and soon discredited studies. While these are not only the Trump appointees that Biden wants out, there are some others too. Per CNN, last fall, the Biden White House asked a number of Trump appointees, including former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, Senior Counselor Kellyanne Conway, and National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster to resign from their positions on military service academy advisory boards. I would like to think that Biden, as now the commander in chief, is making the right call here in terms of getting these people up and out. But it definitely seems that in Dr. Oz's and Walker's situation, that it's because it violates the Hatch Act for them to stay on these councils while also being candidates for Congress. But hey, maybe they're just not all that big on following the rules and they had to try to make this about politics. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, aside from like the Hatch Act kind of like, like never really like seriously enforced, which is one thing that's just, I think, a little bit frustrating about it that they, you know, because the people that are subject to the Hatch Act very often are positions of power like Dr. Oz, where they kind of are just, able to shirk the law in a lot of different ways. But like Dr. Oz being, it just, I mean, the fact that he's even there in the first place just speaks to the ridiculousness of Donald Trump, just seeing somebody on TV and putting them on a board. Like Dr. Oz does not belong on any type of like health board. His whole TV show was just this honestly like propagated a lot of anti-science mentality because he was very into the whole like popular diet phenomenon that leads to people, Oh, is coffee good for you? Is coffee bad for you? Is chocolate good for you? Is chocolate bad for you? That type of like back and forth thing on like the popular diet is, is one thing that lets people have a very anti-science sentiment that I think has partly been responsible for growing into this anti-vax movement where people look at Dr. Oz saying different things one week after over another and then they'll say, "Oh, well clearly doctors have no idea mm-hmm. what they're talking about, you know?" And it's like, yeah. "No, they do. Dr. Oz is just a TV grifter." <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely was. And hey, we had a TV grifter as a president, so it almost seemed pretty appropriate. Oh, it's one of those things where I think that Biden should have probably done this a long time ago, but I'm glad it got done now. And I'm also glad that you joined us today, Ben. Thank you so much for all of your contributions. Insightful as always, you are the best. Can you please tell the viewers where they can follow you and find more information that you have to offer? Yeah, so you can follow me at Benjamin Carollo on Twitter. And you can also check me out on TYT's Twitch channel every Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time for Galaxy Brain. Yes, and also I heard you're on Rebel HQ, is that right? Yeah, yeah, you can check out all my sweet videos and Adrian Lawrence's on (laughs) Rebel Headquarters. Yes, indeed, you can definitely check us out on Rebel HQ and we're very excited to be there. And thanks for staying with me today.